I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. And on this episode of the podcast, I'm joined in our Hong Kong studio by three emerging designers in Hong Kong. We have Nelson Chow from NCDA, JJ or James Acuna from JJ Bespoke and Stanley Kwok from Stanley Casey. So maybe to get started, it'd be great to get each of you to introduce yourselves and maybe say where you're from originally, how you ended up in Hong Kong and how long you've been in Hong Kong. So maybe Nelson. Me? Okay. Um, I'm Nelson from NCDA. Um, So I basically came back from New York. Um, I was studying in Canada from University of Waterloo. So I got my architecture degree there. And then I moved to New York for a few years, uh, working for Avroco, kind of like a multidisciplinary design firm who does restaurant and also does uh, branding. So when I came back to Hong Kong like around like 2009, because of the economy crash, um, I worked at Edge for like two years before I started my own company. Cool. What about you, JJ? Um, my name is JJ Acuna. And I grew up in Dallas, Fort Texas. I did my undergrad at architecture at Cornell University and grad program at Columbia. Moved here to Hong Kong for an internship 15 years ago and I never left. Um, so I'm a trained architect and my background is really corporate architecture. And I started my studio, JJ Acuna Bespoke Studio, five years ago, accidentally. Um, because I was just over corporate architecture, I quit. I actually didn't want to do architecture anymore. Um, but then when I quit my, uh, my day job, uh, a few friends, uh, wanted to, needed and wanted help. And I, I, I think that's how basically people start studios is, is when there is a need and your skill set provides that need. And now I employ, um, a team to help me out. Uh, so uh, that's where we're at at this moment. And we, we operate in Hong Kong. We have a team in Manila and our projects are in Southeast Asia um, with projects soon to open in Melbourne and LA as well. Okay, yeah. and you Stanley. Hi, I'm Stanley. Uh, I study architecture in the UK. I'm actually from Thailand. So like I was born in Thailand, raised in Hong Kong. So I was also in UK. I was working at the DWB Thailand in Bangkok, and uh, I was actually headhunted to come to Hong Kong. So at first I, I, I joined Steve Leung. So Steve Leung was the one who brought me to Hong Kong, but um, it didn't work out. I didn't like him and he didn't like me. So like, <laughs> and, uh, so but somehow I rejoined DWP. I was working at uh, Macau to finish off Grand Hyatt Macau. And that was right before 2008, the financial crash. The, then, then, uh, then I lost my job, and uh, of course, you know, like everyone was laying off, so the Macau team was gone. Then, 
I was recruited. And that's how I met you. I joined uh, AB Concept in 2009. So I've been working at uh, AB Concept for about seven, eight years. Then I started my own studio about same as JJ five years ago. I just had my five years anniversary. Yeah, so like we are a team of about 12 people now. So like from two to 12 Fantastic. in Hong Kong. Yeah. Well, the reason that I wanted to get the three of you in today and on the podcast is because I guess, well, we're all somewhat similar in age. Uh, not that my age has anything to do with it, but you're all somewhat similar in age. Um, I would hazard to say somewhat similar in your career trajectory in that and and I, and I guess within Hong Kong, not exactly completely new and emerging, but not the older vanguard either. So you're you're within this group that is has already experienced a certain level of success and um, notoriety, I suppose, for want of a better word. Uh, and and I guess I wanted to get you in here to talk about that. You've also worked on a number of hospitality F and B projects, mm -hmm. as opposed to predominantly residential. So your work tends to be a bit more public. Uh, and I thought it would be great to get the, the three of you in here today to have a bit of a talk about that and some of the pros and cons, maybe the ups and downs, the challenges and um, the good things that you've experienced from working in Hong Kong, which is you know obviously quite a unique city from a design and mm. business perspective. Um, and, and hoping that today can be a bit more of a conversation. We don't need it to feel so structured. So feel free to interrupt. Um, but you've all talked about how you started uh, and the firms that you're now running. Uh, I would love to kind of dial back a bit before that and maybe have you tell us when you first knew you wanted to be a designer. Was there an aha moment as a child? Was it a slow process uh, of realisation? Um, how did that kind of come about? Maybe Stanley, <laughs> you're looking at me. <laughs> With big eyes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, um, when my mom... Because, you know, like, I was studying in the UK, so, like, after I went through A-levels, and, you know, like... So, like, my... I've been, I need to... Finally, I need... Of course, my, coming from an Asian family, they always want a to be an engineer as a doctor, but my grace wasn't that great to be a doctor. <laughs> you know, like, but then like they looked at me and they said, but you know what, you've been drawing for a very, very long time. Since I was a kid, I just, if you give me a piece of paper and a pencil, I can just drawing nonsense, totally not relevant. And then they, then, but you know, like if they ask me, I can explain the whole story, what I, what I drew. So then like I was chatting with my principal at that time and then like to my parents and I said, like, what should I do? What should I do? Because you know, like they say, the nearest thing that I would like you to do or I would want to do is the be an architect. But that, that's why I just say, okay, architecture. And then like, the, the, I didn't realize it was seven years to be an architect. <laughs> it was a long time. So you have part one, part two, but I, then I just like, I, I went through all this, but then like, yeah, that's how I started to become an architect. I was an architect for many years before I changed to interior designers. That's interesting. Yeah. I think that's not uncommon actually. Mm. And so what was it for you then, JJ? I mean, you had Asian parents too, but not Chinese, so. Not Chinese. Uh, so before I moved to Texas, I, I was born and raised in, Man in Manila, in the Philippines. So we're, we're Filipinos although we do have Chinese ancestry background. Um, but I think equally as traditional, equally as strict. Um, 
for me, again, I, I, like Stanley, my grades weren't really that great. I don't really play a musical instrument, and I don't really have athletic dexterity. Um, but I was really good at drawing, and that's a start. I also loved fashion. Mm. Actually, I wanted to be a fashion designer. And before that, I wanted to be... You too, right? Yeah. Um, And I wanted to be a comic book artist as well. Like, I loved X-Men. I love comic books. Just like like X-Men. (laughs) X-Men, Avengers, all of that stuff. But I I love painting oil and canvas. So definitely those options, like Mm. painter, comic book artist, fashion designer, are out. Definitely out. So the next best thing the, the next best so hang on they were out because they weren't academic enough they your... were out because it's not something that they didn't understand they mm-hmm. didn't understand it they didn't mm-hmm. think it was sustainable mm-hmm. in hindsight I, I guess they were they're correct they're, they're correct they're correct in hindsight in, probably in Hong Kong yeah in hindsight they're correct and um, so they they said and actually I did a pre-college summer program for at Rhode Island School of Design for fashion I got in and then my my dad flew to Rhode Island mm-hmm. and changed my pre-college oh God. to architecture from fashion w- without telling me. Oh, oh my God. gosh, wow. So that changed so angry. my trajectory, and now I'm an architect, and I'm love, well, I mean, I'm architecturally trained, yeah. but now I practice as an interior designer like Stanley. Right. But in any, and Nelson, at any rate, I'm loving it, Yeah. but it's very mm-hmm. interesting how we get this here. You're still t- touch into everything right now. Like what, whatever you guys are doing is touching into every discipline. That's true. Mm. And so, what about for you then? You said so you I actually wanted, wanted to go to, to fashion. fashion school. Okay. So I, I I applied to Antwerp too. Oh wow! And then um, so my but I also got into architecture. So my mom was like, oh oh, you should just stay with architecture. After you finish the course, you can just do anything you can do. <laughs> that's so, what that's what they say. But architecture is like six and a half years yeah, to seven years. So, so after long. I finish it, I'm already pretty old. Mm-hmm. So I still try and um, work in New York and study night school in FIT in menswear. Wow. Um, just to like fulfill like my want to be like a fashion designer. But then I realized actually it's better for me to buy it. <laughs> rather to stole like the jackets right. and the stuff that I'm doing at Afroco is still like designing uniform and like touching a little bit of like branding so I think it it is I like the um, I, I worked in both like big firms like or like doing like urban planning because we have co-op program in our um, in our school and I think that is very good for any students to just try out different scales from urban planning like 10 years to like architecture like few years to like interior design like few months so then you know what you want like after you finish school mm. and even after i finish school it takes like a few years for, for me to figure out like what i want and 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 it's only till i see like you know a firm similar to avroco that i see that oh i i can do that but before that i i've been in a firm which does stuff that is good but they don't like me and i don't like them but so when you are not, um, it doesn't mean like you're bad at something when, when you don't fit in. It's just um, you don't treasure each other because you're not the right fit. Mm. Yeah. So I think we've actually already raised two really interesting points here. First of yeah. all is that if you're creative and you have Asian parents, then architecture is the real way to go. But the other thing is that, um, you know, most people don't realise how long an architecture degree takes. Yeah. So you said six and a half, you said seven, seven. years. I mean, I don't Six know how long med school yeah. is, but 
that's a really long time to some, be studying. Some people take 10 years if they can't finish their master because they need to help their professor to finish their research. Really? So this is going to take forever for them. So I want to I talk about this because, you know, when someone goes to med school or they go to law school and they end up as a doctor or a lawyer, how often do you think they have clients who are negotiating with them about fees? Never. 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 You never question your doctor. How often does it happen as an architect or a designer? Every, Every time. single day. Every time. <laughs> and, and you can finish the design and they don't um, pay, pay the remaining. Right. So that's another thing I want to talk about. I mean, Hong Kong is an amazing city to do business in. It's, there are a lot of opportunities here, but it's also pretty cutthroat. It's pretty ruthless. Uh, and for anyone that you know, doesn't live here or doesn't know Hong Kong, it's a bit of a capitalist paradise, which can be great in some ways. But if you, uh, you know, lie down for maybe too long, you might get walked all over. So I, I would love to hear a little bit. That's my experience anyway. I would love to hear a bit more about running a business here in Hong Kong and, and yeah, that these, these sort of uh, challenges of not getting paid. Um, we don't have to talk names, but I know that Stanley and uh, JJ perhaps even have the same client that hasn't paid them or was very oh, we slow to pay. we share it with Nelson, by the way. Okay. Oh, no, it's more you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, he did pay me, but... I, also, even the same client across the three of you. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. JJ, do you want to share, obviously, without trashing people by name, let's, let's uh, air the dirty laundry. What happens? Um, yeah, basically... They, there. I do have some clients, and 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 when they have projects for you, they're great. Then, then you know you decide on a reduced fee. It's not even the, <laughs> it's not even the fee you want. And then you do the work, and then you finish the work, and then they have another project coming up, which they also want a reduced fee. So that's the problem. They ask for a reduced fee, and then they they tell you that they'll have a, a another one for you, another one for you, and another one for you, and another one for you. But once you already go low at the first fee, they're never gonna go. They're ne guaranteed they're never gonna go to the fee that you actually want. Mm. But you know, there's a lot of sweet talking, and you know, you've just established the studio and everything. And then finally, when you put your foot down and you're like, oh. Um, I actually cannot run and pay my staff with the fee that 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 you want and expect, but you definitely want this certain quality for me and a certain time. Mm. You really need to meet me at my fee, and then they'll find offense to that, and they just will not pay anything else from 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 the other contracts. I mean that this is not just. This is, I think, this happens. Has that been your experience too? You're sort of smiling over there, Stanley. <laughs> I mean, when we all, I think, from my speaking, because you know when I started out, because you know we're all designed with desperate projects, you know, projects that give us, the, it's not just regular projects, projects that can bring us to uh, some publicity, some people actually be recognized. So we work very hard and also we give uh, very affordable fees. But... At the end of the day, you know, like, I found, you know, like, they always say something. They always manage to trash you. Or every single time. And I say, because, you know, like, I feel like we are being, when we're starting out, of course, we want exposure. We want, but of course, we grow a lot. You know, like, there's a lot of bad people out there. 
Mm. Of course, there's a lot of good people out mm. there. I mean, uh, those bad people. We do have those good clients. Yeah. We, you, have, we, we have amazing clients. We have amazing clients. We have amazing clients. But when you meet bad clients, you you can sense them immediately. Mm. <laughs> but somehow, we want to be the victims. <laughs> Sorry to say, you know, like I, 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 there's uh, no one can blame anyone just apart from myself. Oh, agree. I, we, I agree. I agree. I, I only blame myself. I can only blame myself because yeah. I I wanted it. I wanted to be. Uh, in this crowd, because you know, like I thought that oh, they would in this circle that can lead me to mm. other places, or it opens many doors mm. for me. But mm. actually, when you think about it, for uh, for any potential up and coming designers, think mm. twice. Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think just yeah. as a beginner, you just need to be willing to lose yeah. first. Yeah, you are not looking at earning is. money the first thing. If you actually already base your idea of like I'm learning and really just really just put my heart to it and don't mind how much you lose then or set a line that I can lose so much then you'll be more happy when it's it's it. it's called cost of doing business mm. right um, even until now sometimes I pay for my own artworks just to finish a project and I, photograph I'm, it I, crazy. I mean okay so basically I say I'm an accidental studio but I'm actually being cheeky. I mean, before I, I left the corporate job and I started doing freelance projects, I already had money saved. Mm. Like I made sure that I could do this comfortably, live the lifestyle I still want and be able to start a business smartly. So it's not accidental. I was, I was, I was actually prepared. So before mm. you start a business, mm. make sure you have savings and mm. make sure you can lift yourself up so that in the event you have a client that wants to take advantage of you, mm. you can lift yourself even through that. Mm. Yeah. And the people that work for you. Correct. And so do each of you have advice for, you know, a younger Stanley Nelson JJ or for the, the next sort of generation that are designers uh, that are up and coming, you know, other than I think that's great advice. Having money in the bank is obviously very sensible. Mm. Uh, and I think, Stanley, you sort of had a few words there. But do you have any other advice of, you know, what you would do or not do in hindsight starting out? Because, you know, like one thing I, I took it for granted is when I was working, we, are, we were asked to fill the timesheet. Remember, there's horrible timesheet mm. you have to fill. I hated it. I think everyone, every designer working in <laughs> the corporate now you understand I, And now I finally <laughs> understand mm. why it's so important to do timesheet. Because, yeah. you know, like every, I think all I have spoken to a lot of designers, they ignore timesheets. But timesheet is very, yeah. Even very senior important. designers, they don't like timesheets. Yeah, you know, like anyone that, you know, like who doesn't understand this business, you really need to know understand Until the money sheet. is coming from your own pocket. Because, you know, mm. like, because, you know, like, interior designer, in, in, in this uh, interior design industry is people business. We heavily, real, our asset is staff. So basically, Salaries. How do we pay them? How mm. do we know each, which project is making money? Mm. Which project is not making money? Why is it? Because you know, like one thing I have, I wish I've learned when I was working is actually how to do costing. Right. Because you know, it's because of that. Otherwise, it would save me a lot more time. Because you know, like oh, I just realized that I need to do timesheet. <laughs> then I was like looking at timesheet, putting this together. Then how to do the proposal? What fees is right? 
a lot of the time, we just say that, oh, let's very generalization and say, okay, let's say, just say $100 per square footage, that sort of thing. That's what we're usually very familiar with. Mm. But that doesn't work. Maybe not for me, maybe not for Nelson, maybe mm-hmm. it works for JJ, don't know. Because you mm. know, like, each one's overhead is different. Mm-hmm. So like, so you're saying you figured that out afterwards, after way you set after, up your own studio? After, way after, you know, like, the first two, three years, we were just like, oh, okay, you know, like, the figure sound looks right, but you know, like, but then my my accountant come and talk to me, which is my <laughs> father, and then they say, your business doesn't work. <laughs> and they say, how come it's red line? And they say, what went wrong? I mean, you got new project, you got project coming in, but like, how come it's always figures at the end of the month is always red, red, red. Then he just look at it, your time sheet doesn't add up. Mm. Mm. Then I realized it. Sh- it's not based on the space. It depends on, the, on, on the time that you yeah. spend, on the complexity. That yeah. so you can design a room you know 100 times. Did you, did you know that before you started your studio? No. Okay, Actually, so I think even now, well. sometimes I lose money. Like if I'm doing an exhibition for a very good like event, I might change 100 times or the event want you to change 100 times for one single tiny space. And that will still be equal to a big, huge club, you know. What about you, JJ? Did you, coming from a corporate environment, did you maybe have a better grip on this before you went out on your own? I mean, I I was a director when I left that corporate company. So Mm -hmm. I did handle timesheets and like, you know, this designer costs this amount of money per hour, this designer costs. But when I started my thing, like I really hated it so much in corporate that I just refused to have a business that, that does that. But Mm. now that I look at who are the more demanding clients and who are the least demanding clients, those clients, back to your analogy about the doctor, if every time I go back for a check, if I want that person that goes every week, every every week to the doctor, I have to pay the doctor or lawyer every Mm. time I show up. By six minutes if you're a lawyer. Exactly. (laughs) If a client asks me for revisions and stuff every day, why don't they pay have to pay for every time we take the time out to respond to with a revision or comment? So that that is what I think what Stanley and Nelson are alluding to. We're getting into that now. Mm. It just depends on the kind of client and the kind of demands from yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I still try not, I, I still haven't really done it. I just look at the big number, but I didn't, didn't really go into the really specific, which maybe I should. I mean, I, we're, we're starting to get into it now for certain clients. Especially when the economy is not very good. Yeah, then correct. Mm. You or really need bleeding. to concern yeah. about cash flow and all that. Yeah. I think like, you know, I have, there's a total of three or four of us in Hong Kong and three in Manila. But if you're like Stanley with 12 people in Hong Kong, it's very it expensive. matters more. It's yeah. very expensive. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So speaking of staff then, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, that process, how easy you found it to find the right people, holding on to them. Mm. Um, mm. You know, I think for any of us that has gone from an mm. employee to an employer... <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, it, yeah. once you've gone through that, you sort of understand how important it is to keep on to the good people. Uh, you know, what has your experience been like, maybe JJ, because you're mm. maybe the smaller of the yeah, three? Yeah, I'm the small, smallest <laughs> of the three. Um, God knows if I, if I want to expand past this. But, um, 
Yeah, I think I've, I've got two dedicated designers with me and monthly interns. Um, my two dedicated, like one literally walked into my doorstep. Mm. Um, I think she was there for a photo shoot for Design Anthology uh, for, for Fifth Black Media. Mm. Um, in, in, a, in a project of mine, and then that's where she introduced herself to me, then now she's uh, one of my interior designers. And another one has been following me on social media. <laughs> and um, ev- you know, ever since he started following me, he knew right then there he wanted to work with me. He's been working with me for two, three years straight. He's my senior interior designer. Mm. Um, so that was a very organic, uh, situation and I I do have interns, but they're they're um, someone knows somebody or my designers introduce them to me. I like that. It's more family mm. f- and friends focus. I mean, I do have um, uh, recruiters sending me CVs and stuff all the time, but there's there every I'm more comfortable working with. people people but who, that knows you already who is uh, an extension of someone or mm-hmm. I know yeah. them already sure. I think yeah. that's why when you begin as an entrepreneur um, unless you're like JJ who has like a really good like blog already then I think it's harder for people to understand you um, your philosophy but so it's much harder for people who start to retain people mm. and then after a while uh, after a while when you actually establish maybe some projects they have visited or they have looked into your website and they really liked your work it's easier for you to attract people mm. with similar kind of philosophy and design and then it's easier to retain them has that been your experience stanley yeah because you know like when i started it was only two people it's only like me and then the, the one i was a cat draftsman that I took from AB so like <laughs> then like we when I when I grew my company it's like very organic you know mm. like we and then like we just I I never advertise or anything but like just word of mouth just, word of mouth just mm. someone whether they are interested to come and work for us or like I contact the people that I used to work with so that's how I took Gabby with me mm-hmm. and uh, and then like other just one and one and one and one so like it just evolves and I think mm. that's better because mm. you know like, I use recruiter and I use uh, jobs DB all these kind of things yeah. you just receive a lot of crap yeah <laughs> yeah I was just say so for anyone listening outside of Hong Kong jobs DB is the main website platform for job search yeah. in the city right. but yeah yeah, and we High don't volume, have the time. not great quality. But so you said you've yeah. got twelve, and there's four, three of you. Three of us. And in, how yeah. many? Do and you I have eight now. You're eight. Mm. So. Well, we have three in Manila. Okay. Yeah. So I would love to get a sense of what you think is like the ideal size, and if you want to grow, or if you're actually happy exactly the size that you are. What about I think you? Around eight to ten is a good size. Yeah. I had fifteen before. Mm-hmm. And I find it a little bit harder for me to um, like just work with each person to have the communication. I want to rather just keep my number of projects like just one at a time or a few at a time and being able to communicate throughout the projects mm-hmm. than to um, do more. And, and also once your, your overhead is very high, you need to potentially take projects that you don't like. Right. There's and that pressure. So I'd rather um, keep it quite boutique um, and, and do one at a time. And is that why you're small, JJ, so that you don't have to feel that pressure or is it just the way that it's worked out? Um, I'd like to keep my projects boutique as well. 
and I'd like mm -hmm. to keep my team. I think I, I have four in Hong Kong, but I'd love to actually have five full time. Mm. I mean, I'm working my way towards that in Hong Kong and mm -hmm. keep my three in Manila. But Nelson is correct. I mean, I'm really worried about overhead. Mm. Um, I'm worried about taking on jobs just for the sake of taking them on. Um, we'll see. I'm thinking positively, even in this economy. Mm. Would you agree with that, Stanley? Yes and no. I mean, like, keeping it small, meaning you are streamlined. So, like, but you know, like, um, but you know, like when I have been pitching a lot of like bigger projects, you know, like been invited to pitch. First thing they ask, CBLU asks you, can you submit your old chart? Mm. As soon as you below certain numbers, you are out. Yeah. They don't even look at your portfolio. Right. Right. Either your because you they they worry about the way that you can deliver. Mm. So like. Because you know, like I, 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 when I was actually, I, I was only six and eight beforehand, and suddenly I reached twelve. You know, like it's just because that you know, like I, if I want to get a bigger fish, so I need to beef up myself first. So like, it, it's, it, it's, this is always the dilemma. There's so actually like, one point I want to go. Do I want to go bigger or do I want to keep it small? But you know, like if yeah. you are small, you're only working with the same category of projects. Mm. So if I grow a little bit bigger, so you can get into a more uh, with the bigger developers mm. and then yes. they actually they, yeah. they trust you more, then by doing that, you can always go back down. Mm. Yeah. It's so like, also like once I start taking, I have a few developer projects now and before the developer about my project size around side five people mm -hmm. but then once I have a developer I actually need to send a staff to meet with them every week mm -hmm. just because there's a building and you need to go on site every week to do that so once you have a few of that you need to naturally have a bigger number so if, I mean yeah, if you have that kind of contract then obviously mm -hmm. you can dedicate a staff for that specific yeah. project but also um, with, with that kind of project, you also need to concern your overhead because the payment may be, it comes in like not just a few months, it could be one year. Or if anything that happens into the middle of a construction of a building, it could just be a signage. It could just hold the whole project for one year. Mm -hmm. Then do you have the overhead to keep the staff for that one year? Right. Because it's about building also a relationship and not firing people accordingly. Because mm. so also my project is getting longer and longer and longer. Because my project has been running for four or five years now. Yeah, so yeah. the bigger they are, the longer they the go longer for. It's like, it's so like I think ended. having a few is enough <laughs> to begin, yeah. but not everything mm. at once. Yeah. Because you know, like yeah. I've I've noticed, you know, I learned from Ed and Terence, so you have to have big projects and small projects, right? Like a mixture, a mixture. Mm. So mixture. run it to in order to keep your portfolio and also cash flow mm -hmm. good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. long big projects will kind of a stable for you to keep feeding your yeah. staff, mm. but then you need something to entertain yourself. Because otherwise, you'd be like, if you're just you're stuck in design documentation, oh <laughs> would you yeah. agree with well, that, uh, JJ? I mean, well, the thing is, is we're, we're starting to get big projects as well, like five-star mm. hotels and, and things like that. Mm. But I tell my, my staff right now, I'm like, let us not discount these small hamburger joints mm. and things that want to work with us because mm. Those guys are the ones that are keen to try out new and refreshing Ideas. things. Yeah. Um, with Great those, for marketing. With those five-star hotels and stuff, you know, everybody has an opinion. Marketing, operations, design team in the mm. U.S., design team here, and all this kind of stuff. Then a good idea gets really... Get diluted. Gets diluted. Mm. 
which is why I left corporate in the first place because mm-hmm. so those were the projects that I were doing blue chip clients so um, yeah it depends where you actually want your company to go right and eventually maybe I'll be more comfortable with mm. having a studio the size of Stanley's mm. but maybe for me emotionally there's a roadblock but during a pandemic actually is great to have these developer projects because all of the restaurant is correct. basically in this whole year. Yes, correct. No one is opening restaurant. Then are you going to kill yourself? Like, or, or the correct. people? Well, and also being small, I imagine, I think that's a really good point that you're raising, actually. You had already talked about delays. And, you know, obviously this year clearly has caused a number of unforeseen yeah. delays. And I'm glad to have some developer project that still keeps going right. to sustain the whole company. So diversification in terms of project type, i.e. size, and how long they're going for and also diversification in category. Is that what we're talking about? I mean, you could you could work lifestyle, you could work hospitality and F&B, but, you know, um, diversification in terms of client type. Right. You could do, like, a developer, you could do an operator, you could do a brand, mm. you can do an independent owner. That kind of diversification, really. Mm. It seems to be part of the key. Because all of them will have maybe similar square footage, or similar budgets, except that the demands are different and the expectations are different depending right. on the client type. So we've just been talking about, uh, you know, the size of the firm and, you know, the ideal size and all of those sorts of things. And, and I think the general consensus from what I tend to hear across the industry internationally actually is that there is a magic number and that magic number is different for everybody. Um, I do hear 10 quite regularly. Uh, obviously, that d- depends on what your ambitions are. But I'd love to hear what you think are the key skills that you need to keep in-house and what you like to outsource. So I'm talking specifically about things like accounting and maybe PR. Hmm. So, JJ, I, I think Nelson mentioned JJ before, is a PR already. Yeah, you already had a bit of a persona, I suppose, a public persona before you went out. So you had that, you know, benefit uh, before. But what are your thoughts on those roles and maybe others about what, what would you retain in-house within the team and what are you outsource? I think it really depends on, as a business owner, what drives you or what motivates you or what you're really, um, what you want to be careful about or what you have no idea how to do. So, for example, me, I love, I love being out and about, you know, I, I love social media and all of this kind of stuff and when i used to blog i love blogging um so i just wanted to be part of the conversation um Mm. so and automatically then there is like um, a brand extension just for me being me some people want to do their own bookkeeping some people have no idea how to do marketing and pr and want to leave that to the rest for me, for my company, I outsourced our logo, our branding, our brand story, and everything because I just needed fresher ideas. So I, I hired um, mm. a branding team in Manila to to come up with my logo and my colors and everything because those people went to school for that, and I assume that they'll have better ideas than me, and they do. I, I love I love my logo and my my branding. Uh, right now, we're too small to do f- complete FF&E, but you know what? There are consultants in Hong Kong who do just FF&E for 
HBA, for large companies, medium companies, small companies like me, and I collaborate with them on a case-to-case -case basis. It depends on the budget. So um, it is a gig economy. There's a lot of people out there, graphic designers, accountants, and stuff. And if you don't want to have them as overhead, feel free to, like all of our drawing files are online on the cloud. Mm -hmm. I, so I don't have a physical server. Mm. So that means my whole team during the coronavirus they can, can work, work home. at home. Mm -hmm. And we have a file structure set up like that's very strict and everything. So no one has an excuse not to work. Mm. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, Stanley, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you, you're maybe a little bit bigger than these guys in terms of team size at the moment. So what are you kind of keeping in house and what have you got outsourced? Because um, I work with a lot of consultants, because you know, like um, one thing I on every single project I outsource my lighting. Okay. That's very important because mm. usually every single time if I don't do it, the lighting usually is screwed up. So I'll actually. That's a good point. Uh, I'll actually put when I do my proposal or like, and I'll actually when I do submit the fees, I'll actually reserved. I'll ask the lighting designers that I usually work with as they submit your fees for this project so that I know I can reserve some part of it. And also graphics, because I work with a lot of graphic designers, because you know like my design actually, when you talk about narrative and how to create something that is special, something that is unique for the project, something that when my client sees it, will say, wow, that sort of thing. They don't care about furniture so much, but they see something that I think Graphic for some reason, and lighting always these two. It changes very, they everything. Changes the whole thing. Mm. Like mm. for some, I design a carpet. I design a screen. I'll use a, 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 a graphic designer again. Okay, this is my narrative. This is my story. Come up with something. So I'll work with them hand on hand together to create something that is unique for that project. Even ceiling profile, mm. the patterns, floor pattern, that sort of thing. You know, like. Because you know, like this, we have. I mean, we can do it, but like, it just takes us much longer time. Yeah. You know, like we'd rather have someone else to do it. And different so, graphic designers have different yeah. styles. Yeah. Mm. So I think graphic and lightings are usually outsourced. Okay. But the FFNE, I do it in house. Yeah. Because you know, I think you like to design every. Because I, I like to control. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love picking materials and everything like that, but those specification sheets, man. Oh, but you know what? That used to be my job. Oh. I, 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 we use an oh, app God. these days. That is so like, boring. We just bought an app. And What's the name of the app? Yeah, Can I see it? Yeah, please. Sure. Folio. I use Folio. F-O-L-I-O. Yeah, okay. Folio. You know, like uh, Gabby found it online. Okay. So like rather rather than using Excel create lots of mistakes. Oh totally. Because yeah, the, the code's always wrong. Yeah. But like when I have folio, like I was just, you know, like my team was just everyone it's a share between it's mm. you buy one, it's shared between all the designers. That's good to learn. So I have a two or three license and then like they can just share that. And then like so everyone can work on it. So like it doesn't need to be an um an Excel program. So you just insert an image and as soon as you type one, it keeps repeating. So the next time you mm. type the same thing, it comes back. So I'll learn it. Yeah. Tips we'll and it. tricks yeah. from yes. Stanley. Yes. Those are really interesting points. I would love to also hear from each of you about what other skills you think designers need to have to run a business because my feeling is from conversations that I've had in the past is that design schools typically mm. just teach designers how to design 
and don't really include, and I'm generalising, each school may be different, but don't really talk much about running a business. So I would love to hear what other skills you think are necessary. I think you need to be quite persistent. Um, I think you just need to learn a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And you just need to be a good listener to the client. And as a boss to your team, you just need to be also a good listener to them. So we always, as a, as a team, we take consensus to see and vote and see which has the best solution and, and then we go for it. And you can't just control, I mean, we try and control, but then at a certain point we need to still just give the team a sense of uh, partnership and ownership. Um, and yeah, JJ, do you have other things or Stanley? I think um, being a good leader Rather, than, you know, like we are all bosses, but the difference between a boss and a leader is very different. Mm. We can just say, do this, but you know, mm. like, because you know, one thing where I think we I have learned uh, for the past five years is how to lead my team rather than bossing my mm. team. Mm. <laughs> it's very different, you know, like, you know, like I can just tell them, okay, stay up and finish your work. But then, like, it, how do we motivate them? But you know, like, it doesn't teach you at school. I think we only learn it. When I, I, I didn't get motivated. I didn't know how to motivate people. It wasn't in the syllabus. It was, no one knows how to motivate. Okay, you only hear, now only lately, when you have the YouTube channels start to talk about motivations. But when I back in the school, like in the no one 90s, that, yeah. you know, like <laughs> no one knew, like I didn't know anything about it. So even now I'm chatting with some of the lecturers. They, they never talk, you know, the school never talk about they teach you how to be a designer, they teach you how to be an architect, but then they never teach you how to be a leader. Mm. So, I mean, it's not everyone wants to be a leader, but sure. at the end of the day, but if someone wants to be, or like wants to be, uh, in somehow to inspire others, so like, it was, I think this is lack of in the education right now, how to be a leader. Mm. It's only in politics or in uh, this business world, they talk about how to lead, but you know, like, in a design world, but like, what is a good leader in the design world? Does it make that like, has to be a good design to be a design, a good uh, leader? Or, but then usually good designers might not be a good businessman. Mm, but that's then, a really, really good point. Yeah. So like, how do we actually lead the, the, the rest of the designers to go to the direction that you want to go? Because mm. you know, like not everyone on the same page with you. Mm. Do you want to add something to that, Jojo? Yeah, I want to add to that. I totally agree. Um, you know, leading is is absolutely correct. Leading your designers, but you also have to lead your clients. You have to lead yourself, the people in your private life, and you know, and leading means allowing the flexibility to dream and to be as, as uh, aspired to in to 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 be inspired all parties or all parties. I mean because uh, we have all to parties. sell mm. uh, our job is to sell to allow the client to buy into our vision buy into us as a service allow the the designer to that we work works under us works with us to sell them that we are the right people to work with and this is the right There's client. So many to work parties with. in every project. And you have your for those of you with partners and family members who have to deal with you. You have to let them know that you're okay, that your business is all right, and that you know 
that you will give time for yourself and for them, that you are good at time management, that you are good at organizational mm-hmm. skills. Or at least know that you're not good at it so you can assign someone that is good at it and do these things for you. Correct. That's being a good leader is also being a good, uh, someone who is good at um, letting go of control and letting go of power and finding help where you need the help. Mm-hmm. There's all, And you need to know what your boundaries are. Yes, push through those boundaries if it's still challenging. Mm-hmm. But once a, the challenge becomes a struggle, you need to figure out what the heck is going on and make some changes right mm-hmm. then and there. Well, I think boundaries are a good way for me to segue into the last question that I have. I'd love to go through to each of you and ask you what you think are the most difficult or the most challenging aspects of working as a designer in Hong Kong and what the best bits are. So maybe with you, Stanley, if you want to start, what are the, what are the best and the worst bits of doing what you do in this particular city? This city is all driven by time. Mm. I mean, like, we can get things done so fast. I mean, mock-ups, prototypes, anything can be done within days. But it's also a disadvantage for us. So the client is also expecting us to do things in us very, very fast, like turbo speed. I mean, like, they always say, they always say, they always make fun of me. When's the deadline? They'll say yesterday. They always say that. Every yeah. single client, they say yesterday. Or can yeah. you be any faster? And I say, I'm really, I try. Because but, the rental is but, so yeah, expensive. Yeah, creativity takes time. But in Hong Kong, like, okay, having, because you know, everything walk 10 times faster than anyone else in the planet. And like, just, you know, like, during the pandemic, it was a great, pla- it was a really, really good time because actually, it was a time to reset. Mm. We actually relook at our structure and how do we work? Because because the client's not bothering us, because they, they they can't go to work. So like, I finally have some time to think. But so like working in Hong Kong now they are back. So like they are all behind my back. You know like <laughs> I mean you know like the the advantage of working and living in Hong Kong is we have the division time mm. also it's also become a disadvantage it's like oh we have to think two times faster but you know like creativity when you're stuck you're stuck mm. creativity mm. takes time yeah. i like that yeah. jj what are your thoughts yeah um the best thing about working in hong kong is that it is um the center of asia i have to say i would argue it's a center of asia and everything that we need to go is f- within the circumference, you know, yeah. circumference of four hours. No, I can't fly. go anywhere. Five, I would argue. I think it's five. <laughs> five <laughs> going hours. to Jakarta and Tokyo as often as I was. Okay, five. five to six. <laughs> um, and we also have major media here and mm. major media representation. So even just because we're in Asia, it doesn't mean we're not part of the conversation. Mm. So I'm comfortable to say that if we operate in Asia and we design in, in Hong Kong and, and surrounding neighborhood that what we do can have a global impact depending on how we spread the message and how people around here choose to cover us. And we have clients who are well-traveled and, and, and that also, that circumference allows us to source basically from anywhere to make our dreams come true, right? So for our, my projects in Vietnam or Philippines or 
wherever, even on my projects in Tokyo, it's really hard to get things in there in those territories. But for sure, for our projects in Hong Kong, like easy um, to get anything done. So it's fantastic. I, but probably besides the time issue that Stanley brought up, the worst thing about Hong Kong, it's it's really one of the most expensive cities in mm. the world. Yeah. And honestly... The rental, the people, everything. The, the rental, the staff, like our fees here just to run a business, it's so crazy. So when so my clients or people who contact me for fees, fee proposals from for other first world cities, when they see my fee... It's not the most expensive fee in Hong Kong. I know what everybody well, it's more else charges. Expensive than what they have but already. it's more expensive than what they're used to. So that is the whole thing. It depends where they're from. It depends where they're if from. If they're South Asia, then maybe. If they're from Europe, then you're... You'll be surprised. Cheaper. I had a prospective client from Saudi Arabia to do hamburger joints. Oh, I said too uh, much. Yeah. And, then, and then I sent them the fee, and the fee that they could afford was like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. So I just had to cut mm. that. But it, wow. it's, it's, it's very in, expensive. It's very expensive in Hong Kong. Yeah. Okay. Cost of running business, I'm glad expensive. You brought that up. And, and that's why like you agree. So yeah, that's why I, I think also that's why, uh, well, the client is also paying a lot of rental. Um, and if they want to open restaurants, so and in that a really way, drives the time, doesn't so it? So we have very limited time. Yeah. So in a way, we just need to be very decisive and, really kind of just think straight and just go ahead. But um, Hong Kong is a great place to get great resources and trial ideas. So basically, if you have 10 projects and you just try out 10 ideas, then at least one of them will get published in the, in the good sense. So in a way, for interior designers are, are great because you can, like whatever that get built here for like three, in three months, it would take probably a year to build in like like other Western countries. So in a way, it's very good for us to just use this opportunity to do more uh, projects. Well, I think that they are all very valid and very interesting insights. And I would just like to say thank you all so much for being here today. It's been wonderful catching up with you and and just, yeah, really very insightful to hear your thoughts and challenges uh, in working in Hong Kong. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it.